Good evening, everybody. It is Tuesday night, time for Bible class. As always, if you are joining us after the class actually took place, we ask you just to fast forward about five minutes to the start of class or just hang out and, and be patient. Thank you. Good evening. I see we got a few people out there. Feel free to check in. Let us know who is here. We're going to be starting in Luke 15 tonight. Hey, Jillian, good evening. Glad you're with us tonight. You're the first one to check in. How are you doing? See a few more out there tonight. Uh, let us know who's here. Uh, we're going to give it about four or five minutes just to let everybody Find, find us and get logged in here. So, so be patient, and uh, we'll get going in a couple of minutes. Hi, Judy. Yeah, not like Arizona here, is it? Um, good to see you. Good evening. Glad you're with us tonight. Uh, we will be starting in Luke 15. So if you want to get your Bibles ready to go, uh, we can start in a couple of minutes. Hey, Pastor. Good evening to you as well. Glad you're here. Who else is out there tonight? We're going to give it about three or four more minutes yet before we start. So just sit tight. Be patient. I see a few more few more logging in. Glad everybody's here tonight. Two more days of school. Kids are going a little bit crazy around here at Pilgrim, but um, I think they can, they can hang in there for another day and a half. Glenn, Jane, Jean, and Joan are here. Good evening. Uh, glad you're with us tonight. Thanks for joining us. Who else? We're up to 10 screens. We're going to give it just a couple more minutes here. Uh, if you hopefully hopefully checked your email, saw the worksheets, uh, tonight's Luke 15 and Luke 16. Hi, LaVon. Good evening. Phil, good evening. And that is a really good question. Um, I'm going to guess it's pretty close, to be honest with you. Um, not that the teachers don't love what they're doing, but I think they're just as ready for a break as, as the kids are and maybe pastor too a little bit. Uh, it's been a good year, though, I have to say, considering, you know, the, the COVID year we had prior to that, it's been a really good school year. Um, God has blessed it for sure. All right, two more minutes, and then we'll pray and get going. Hi, Pam. Good evening. Thanks for joining us tonight. Two really, really good chapters tonight. I'm really looking forward to talking about Luke 15 and, and Luke 16. We will 
Hey, Marge. Good evening. Ron and Joan are here as well. Hello to you also. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Again, Luke 15 and 16. Almost ready to start. Just going to give about another 90 seconds here just to make sure our everybody gets here. Anybody got big plans for Memorial Day weekend? I know there's a lot of graduations, at least in, in our church body. It seems like all the Lutheran high schools are, are graduating this weekend. Um, service times will be as normal on Sunday. And remember, we're going to take a donation for the veterans uh, on Sunday as well. So keep that in mind. One more, mi <clears throat> one more minute and then we'll get started, okay? One more minute. It appears we're, we're holding steady at this number. So one more minute, and then we will start. Everybody good to go? Well, looks like... Uh, actually, Phil, no, we are, um, we decided we're going to stick with the 8 and 1030, and we will have some Bible study during the summer. It won't be all through the summer. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then midsummer we might run like a four or five-week class and then take another break before the end. So we are sticking with 8 and 1030, uh, so good question. Um, hopefully... Hopefully get a little Bible study in at some point as well. Um, so keep your eyes open. More info will be coming on that. All right. It is uh, 6.34. Time to get going here. Let's say a prayer and then we'll, we'll begin. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, as always, we seek your blessing on our time together here tonight. So glad to be together, to study, to grow in our faith. Refre refresh us tonight, Lord, with your gospel. Help us to know that we are valuable in your sight and that we are saved by Jesus. We pray in his holy name. Amen. All right, Luke 15 and Luke 16. Um, I, I probably mentioned last week some of my favorite chapters in Luke. Uh, Luke 15 is the, the lost and found chapter. It is perhaps the most loved chapter of Luke, um, perhaps by some the most loved chapter in the New Testament. Um, so really eager to discuss these two chapters with you tonight. <clears throat> Everybody knows chapter 15 um, for the parable of the lost son, but there are two parables that precede that. And so we're going to start there. And if you, it's important, I think, to understand verse 2 before you even get into the parables. Verse 2 says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the primary audience for these parables are the Pharisees, the tax, uh, the teachers of the law, the, the people that are not believing in Jesus. Okay, so he's addressing them with these parables, teaching them about the love for the lost that, that the Father has. All right, so, so number one, first question here. Luke, uh, Phil's got it there. Who was moved to hear Jesus? And who wasn't? And, and what was the difference? 
So you look at verse one, you've got tax collectors, sinners. You've Verse two, you've got Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Who was moved to hear Jesus and who was not? And what's the difference between the two? So Ron and Joan get us started there. The tax collectors and the sinners, they were moved to hear Jesus. Um, the lawyers, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law were not. Um, some know they needed a savior, knew they needed a savior. Other other things, others didn't think they needed any help at all. Yeah. Um, just focus on that last that last sentence there a little bit. Judy adds the thought that sinners knew they needed to repent. Um, how did they know that? Um, you two are both right. Uh, they knew that by faith, right? There, there's faith on the part of the one and there's rejection on the part of the other. Um, they're moved to hear Jesus. Um, they they have faith in what he's telling them, right? They, The Pharisees, of course, do not. They are rejecting the message that, that Jesus is sharing with them. Um, and if you look at verse two, there's really contempt in how they view Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. As you both are implying here that they, they felt they were above sinners. They didn't need a savior. They didn't sure didn't need Jesus. And so Jesus is trying to illustrate to them um, really who's lost and how does the, the father feel about the lost so then he tells a parable here uh, about the lost sheep and the lost coin. Um, and if you just look at the first 10 verses, what does it mean to be lost? And what does it mean to be found? What does it mean to be lost there? And what does it mean to be found? Judy, yeah, I think that's a, a good um, contrast to draw there. There um there's humility and there's arrogance, right? And and humility flows from faith. Arrogance, of course, flows from rejection and unbelief. Um, so certainly that those are symptoms of the, the spiritual state that those two groups find themselves in. Joanne, good evening. Uh, thanks for joining us. We just uh, finished question one, uh, Luke 15. Pastor says, Jesus offered them a hope of acceptance from God that the Pharisees did not give. Yeah, that's a good point too, Pastor. Um this love they're getting from, from Jesus, uh, from the Father, they weren't getting from their religious leaders, from the Pharisees, and they sure um, should have been. All right, so question two, what does it mean to be lost and found in these two parables? What does it mean to be lost and found? Aha, so Phil... Um, Phil says lost equals dead, found equals alive. And, and Phil, I'm assuming you mean spiritually dead and spiritually alive. Is that, am I reading you correctly there? Um, so Marge says lost someone who has strayed from God, then returns to him and repents. Yeah, I, I think straying is often a way to, um, it can often be the same as lost, Um so lost would be somebody who's an unbeliever. Straying sometimes has been used to describe a, a believer who's who's falling away. Um, but I think in the context in, in how you're saying that, I would, yeah, I would treat them the same. If they've strayed away, 
they are lost, right? They need to be found and brought back to Jesus. Um, the Myers say that lives could be lost forever in hell. Those who are found by believing in Christ will have eternal life. Yeah, so the, the end results are very different, right? Um, one is going to heaven, one is not. Jane says the same thing there. Um, there are eternal consequences depending on which group you find yourself in. Um, and again, just if we boil that down, lost means no faith, found means there is faith, right? Lost is no repentance, found there is repentance, uh, there is trust in Jesus. Um, pastor says uh, that another good difference there, that there's hope or there's hopelessness. Um, and of course, Jesus is the key decider there. Judy says unbelievers stay lost. Um, they do until hopefully somebody shares the gospel with them, right? Yeah, unbelievers are not going to um, come to the fold on their own, right? And that's actually so something I have jotted in my margin here, my Bible, the parable of the lost coin. Um, I, only three verses, but if you read that parable really quickly, uh, what is the coin not doing? Verses 8, 9, and 10. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins, loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully till she finds it? She finds it, she rejoices. Um, the coin is not shouting, hey, I'm over here. Right? The coin is not trying to be found. The, the lost in this world, the, the unbelievers, the spiritually lost, they're not really looking to be found either. Um, and that's important for you and I, because if we aren't out there searching, if we aren't like this, this woman searching for that coin, they're going to stay lost, as Judy says. And so some urgency for you and I um, to get out there, right, to participate in this mission field that God has called us into um, wherever we are. All right, anybody else there? Number two, anybody else on these two parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin? Um, and notice the joy there too, right? Joy when the one comes back. Um, sometimes, you know, churches can get caught up in the, the numbers game, how many people are, are coming or not coming. And finally, when one person believes, there's joy. And let's let's celebrate that, right? Um, the Meyers say they can't put any effort to find itself. Yeah, um, the, the, we're, there's nothing in here, according to our sinful nature, right? There's nothing in there that's going to find itself. Yeah, I would imagine, Phil, once, you know, so you think of that sheep there, once it's found and brought back, think of the, the feeling of that. Um, I, I'm privileged as a pastor to see, to see that happen uh, when sheep are found and brought into the fold. There is a certain joy and relief there that I, I haven't seen in other areas of life. It's just, a, it's a neat experience. Um, and it's one of the best parts of what I get to do. And I would pray that you guys all get to see that at some point too with, with somebody that you share the gospel with, um, if you haven't already. All right, number three, number three. So talking about the lost sheep, the lost coin, verses 1 through 10. Um, these parables both teach about God's love. What do they teach us about it? So this is a free game for anybody Verses 1 through 10, what do you learn about God's love 
as you look at these two parables. I love these kinds of questions because it's really, it's what did you observe? What did you take away? That there's nothing, no wrong answers to this. What, what do these parables teach you about God's love? Where do you see the love of God demonstrated here in these verses? So Jane says, um, he never stops loving us. He's relentless, right? He's resilient. You look here, the, this, the picture that is painted uh, three through seven with the sheep, he, he's not going to stop until he finds that sheep. Same with the woman with the coin. It, it's just this never-ending search for the lost. Um, so I love that one. J Judy says, God is patient and persistent. Kind of similar thought there, just... He doesn't give up, right? He, he's concerned. He, he's wanting to find uh, the sheep or the coin. There's just this persistent and patient effort to make sure that it, he's doing everything he can to bring us in. Uh, Pam, another way of saying it, God doesn't give up on us, right? He doesn't uh, throw in the towel after a couple of days search. He, he, goes, he keeps after it. Any other thoughts here about God's love? Um, and, and maybe we've already said it, but he's seeking us, right? He knows that we aren't going to seek him on our own, at least not before coming to faith. As believers, we, we sure do that, right? But before we come to faith, we aren't going to seek him on, his, on our own. So he seeks us out, right? He comes after us. He doesn't wait. And he sure could have, he, right? He could just sit back and say, well, those sinners, I'm just going to wait until they come and find me. He doesn't do that, right? He gets out there and he searches for them. A couple other thoughts here. Um, anybody else have a, what do you learn about God's love here? One through 10. Yeah, Phil, there's joy, right? That's one of the, one of the ones I wanted to mention. Um, the joy that he has in both of these parables, when one is brought in, it, there's joy. Um, nothing makes him happier than, than saving us. And you're right. He doesn't call out how stupid we are. He, it's, it's gone. Um, Jillian, you're right. God's love is unconditional. Um, it doesn't matter what the sheep did, what the coin did. No, no strings attached to this. They're found, they're brought in, they're, they're saved, um, for everybody. Right. I, yeah. So I, I appreciate that too. Um, anybody else? I think those are probably the key thoughts there. Uh, maybe one other, and maybe we've already said it, but he doesn't, he doesn't cut his losses. Right. He could have said, you know what? I still got 99 here. I don't, I'm not going to go after the one. Um, he doesn't do that. Uh, each and every one is valuable. Um, finally, 99% is pretty good, but God says, no, I, I want the one. Right. So he doesn't, he doesn't play the percentages. Um, pastor says, I talked with a man today who found God's love and acceptance while he was in prison during punishment for his behavior. Um, Pastor, and first of all, what a what an awesome thing that God, and I think that demonstrates what Julian said and what some of these other comments up here said. God, he never stops, right? It doesn't matter who we are or what we did. Um, I just, and that's the thing too, you know, finally, sometimes in life, and we'll see that in our next parable, sometimes we got to go through some tough things before we really appreciate God and his grace and his mercy for us and 
Um, so I thank God, Pastor, that that's the case for that, that man. I pray that continues for him. All right, um, number four. Boy, we got to get moving here. Number four, uh, there's much rejoicing in heaven over a sinner who repents. But is there also rejoicing among God's people? Um, is it ever hard for you to share the joy of the angels? So, for example, if you're one of the 99, is it hard for you to welcome back the one? Any thoughts on that, number four? If you're one of the 99, are you rejoicing at number one coming back? What can make that hard? What do you think there for number four? Myers there talking about the difference between the coin and the lamb. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a level of, and Phil mentioned stu stupidity above, um, there's a level of that with the sheep, right? The, um, foolishly running away. Um, that sure describes every all of us by nature, right? Um, how about uh, number four here? So there's much rejoicing in heaven over the sinner who repents. But is there always much rejoicing among God's people? What makes it hard for us to welcome back the one? If we're part of the 99, what makes it hard for us to welcome that one back? So Jane points out, yes, yeah, sometimes it's about what they did. Um, so in the case of a mass murderer who repents, I've used that illustration in the membership class a lot. Um, and that's a toughie, right? When, when somebody does something that in our minds is so terrible, it's hard for us to say that, they should be forgiven, right? There's a part of us that says, you know what, that's that's not fair. And and really, isn't that what the Pharisees were doing to the tax collectors? Same thing, right? They were looking down on, on the one. And Ron and Joan, you're right, we do tend to judge. Um, we do tend to judge. Phil says the sinful nature wants things to be fair or in order. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's really, of course, when we do that, though, understand we don't want God to be fair. Because if God were fair, we'd all be toast. Right? So we can't have it both ways. Um, it's not fair, we think, when that sinner over there is forgiven and saved. But just understand what you're asking then. If we're asking God to be fair, I'm in trouble too, right? So, so let's rejoice that God isn't fair. Because if he's fair, I, I'm not getting to heaven, right? Um, so let's keep that in mind. Uh, Linda, hey, good evening. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Linda, uh, how you feeling? Uh, Linda says God is in charge of our redemption. Yep, it's not about what we do, right? And look at that. We're up to 20 views going on right now. Uh, thanks for coming out, everybody. Um, all right, let's move on here. We got to get into the, the 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 meat of the chapter, the parable of the lost son. Um, I would submit that's a mistitled parable. Um, one of my profs at Sem always told us this should be the parable of the father's love. Uh, it's not really about the lost son; it's about the love of the father. Um, anyway. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, question five says, 
Contrast the attitude of the younger son when he first left home with his attitude after he came to his senses. You understand the question? So we've got the young son. Describe his attitude before he goes out, has experiences, and hits rock, hits rock bottom. Compare that to his attitude afterwards when he's lying there in the pig slop. Um, how was his attitude different before and after he came to his senses? Fire away here. What uh, what do you have? So very succinct. Ron and, and Jones say it goes from arrogance to humility. Yep, I think that is a a good summary. A very very good summary. Anybody else want to throw some some descriptions out there uh, talking about his attitude? Ah, Pastor, I like that one. From entitled, right? I deserve. I, I'm I'm entitled to this. To after the fact. I'm not worthy. He even says that, right? I'm not worthy to be called your son. Good. Uh, Judy says he was selfish and arrogant. Entitled. Later, he admits he's a sinner. He's unworthy. Yeah. Um, you're all kind of on the same theme here, which is which is great. Jane says before he was greedy, selfish. Later, he's repentant, humble. Um, and Joanne, yeah, I, I mean, that's that, that particular professor said a lot of good things, but I would agree with you there. Um, Ah, Joel, that's an interesting thought we had not covered. And, and good evening, by the way. Joel says not caring about dad or family to later on caring about dad or family. Phil, that's good too. I, I've got this independence thing down, right? I'm going to do my thing. Um, later on, he understands that that's not how it works, right? And he asks for forgiveness. Um, and Linda, yeah, we'll talk about his love for both sons here in, in just a minute. Um, all right, so number five, I think the other thing there, well, actually, I think you got everything um, really, and, and you just, just kind of think of what he's asking there at the beginning. He's saying, Dad, I'd hurry up and die already, right? I want my inheritance. You're still here. Come on, get out of the way. Um, just the arrogance of that, right? The selfishness of that. But I would submit for most of us, um, well, who does the older son represent? Remember the context? We started the, our, our session tonight looking at verse 2. In the context here, who does the older son represent? Who does the older son represent? Um, primarily, right? Who's the primary audience? And then um, Linda is saying us. And I would say, Linda, this sure applies to us. Um in the moment as he speaks this, this is directed at the Pharisees, right? This represents the Pharisees, as, as a couple of you are posting. Certainly, I, I think all of us, as Linda says, we've probably been the older son more than we've been the younger son. I'm going to guess. Um, maybe not. I just, maybe that's me. But um, I think the longer we've been a Christian, the more we relate to the older son. That's just an opinion. Um, so yes, um, the Pharisees couldn't accept that God would love the tax collectors and the sinners. And, and Jesus is about to demonstrate how God loves even people that we would say are unlovable. So now really getting to the, the thought here, this is about the love of God. 
<clears throat> number seven, how does the father in this parable display the love of God? And I gave you four words to pick from. Generous, seeking, forgiving, or reconciling. If you want to pick one of those words and just tell us how the father's love really shines through in this parable, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, how the father's love. And I, I would say, I mean, God's love is so clear in the Bible, but he gives us a lot of imagery here that we don't get in other sections that really show his love. So, so tell me what you think. Um, Pastor, so I'm just catching up here. Pastor says we often think we're better than quote unquote sinners. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do. So to uh, question seven here, um, Judy, I think, is talking about generosity. <clears throat> he gave him his inheritance. Um, and notice he gave it to him before he died. Um, and then when he had wasted everything, he gave him even more. So, so generosity. Um, and later on, right, there's the, the dinner, as Jane says, and the party. Um, there are... There's the fattened calf laid on later on. Uh, Linda says he was seeking. Um, yeah, a long time, right? Look at verse 20. Um, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does that mean? If the son's a long way off and the father sees him, what does that tell you about the father? Right, he is scanning that horizon day in and day out, just hoping to catch a glimpse of his son, waiting, expecting. Uh, that really shows the heart of the father there. So, so thank you for that, Linda. Um, the Myers talk about forgiving. Yeah, it, it's not conditional on the son's apology, right, or penance. The son, they, he doesn't give the son a bunch of hoops to jump through. Um, really, if you look there. Um, Verse 21 and 22, the son doesn't even get through his planned and prepared speech. The father cuts him off. Verse 22, no, bring the robe. Let's, let's, let's get this party going here, right? Um, so we can't even complete his speech of penitence. Um, the father, it, it's forgiving. Um, Phil says, do we know why tax collectors and Pharisees were primarily... Uh, in this audience. Um, I guess my first thought there, Phil, would be to say, I, I wouldn't say they were the only audience. If you look at, uh, so look at chapter 14, verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Um so there's a lot of people around. And then, you know, verse 5, chapter 15, um, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around. Um, he's attracting both sides, right? Um, and I think, just in context, I wouldn't read that saying they're the only two groups of people there. But in the crowd, those two groups of people in particular were, were really paying attention. And I think that that's, that makes sense, right? The, the tax collectors, the sinners, they need the gospel. They're craving the gospel that Jesus is preaching. Pharisees, they're they're just looking to find, they're, they're, 
they're looking to stick it to him, right? So they um, they're upping their animosity toward him. I, does that make sense? Um, and, and I think Luke mentions them specifically um, because these parables demonstrate the contrast that we the points we made there in the first couple of questions. Anybody else on the love of the Father here? Um, I, I think I don't think we talked about. He even goes out to the older son. Um, he goes out to the older son and gently invites him to come back. And, and I think there you see the love that Jesus has for the Old Testament people, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the, the, the stubborn older son that's refusing God's grace. He goes out to them too. And, and that's suddenly Jesus' way of saying, you guys can come too, right? I, I mean, Come on in here, right? You're not you're not out of this. You're not um, you don't have to miss out. All right, uh, number eight. Um, which son are you? And maybe if you want to talk about that a little bit here, um, which son are you? Which one do you see yourself in? And by the way. Um, the older son, he got his, his inheritance too, right? Verse 12, he divided his property between them. The old son got his share. It's not like he didn't get anything. Um, he got the same that the younger did. And it doesn't appear that he appreciated it any more than the young son. So Linda says the son had to do nothing. The older felt that he was earning what he worked for. Um, yeah, the older the older one is definitely there on on merit, right? He's he's dialed into works righteousness and feels like he is he's worthy and has earned more. Anybody else? Which son are you? Which one do you relate to here? Number eight. I, finally, I suppose in the end we could say. that we're both. Um, yeah, I think, Linda, he does. Um, I think Yoder feels neglected. I think he feels unappreciated. Um, I think he feels like he should get special treatment um, for sure. Ah, so Pastor relays, relates to the straying son. Um, interesting. Jane, too, probably the younger, sin and repent over and over. Yet we do that, don't we? We uh, we seem to keep committing the same sins that we've repented for so many times. So in that regard, yeah, I guess I would agree with both of you. I, um, for me, I guess I, I wrote down both. Um, I, I can see myself in both of these guys. Um, I guess it depends on the day. Anybody else there? Number uh, Question eight, which son do you relate to? Um, and by the way, we don't know what happened with the old son. Jesus, such a good storyteller. He leaves that hanging. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't tell what the outcome is. And again, hopefully the Pharisees are taking that to heart and thinking about it. Um, but I just watch the parables sometimes. Jesus will, obviously, perfect storyteller. He's perfect everything. But the way that he uses these stories is is really impressive. Um, 
Interesting. So Joel, as he's aged, has felt more like the older son. And when he was younger, maybe felt more like the young son. I, guess, I would guess we could all uh, relate to that and see where you're going there. Um, anybody else with a thought or a question on Luke 15? Just a good chapter. Marge says she relates to the older. How can you forgive after what he did? Yeah, I, uh, there's definitely some of that, I think, in all of our hearts, right? We tend to look down on the sinner, um, especially if we deem them to be a maybe more severe sinner than, than we think of ourselves. All right. Um, so Ron and Joan agree with you, Joel. Um, more rebellious as a younger person, more set in her ways as an older person. Um, yep, I, I think we can all relate to that too. And again, so much, so many of these parables that Jesus tells it. Another reason they're so good is because we can relate to the people in them, right? We can see ourselves uh, in the characters that are found there. All right, more parables. Now, again, notice the context here, chapter sixteen. Jesus told his disciples. Um, so what we're getting here is more directed to the disciple, the believer, than the last chapter was more to the to the general audience. So Jane says the older one feels he didn't get. Yeah, why didn't you give anything to me like that, Father? Right? Where's my party? I'm the good guy, right? I, I should get more. Um Phil says both sinned, both are saved. And that's the key, right? God's love is there for both of them, whether they know it or not, whether they accept it or not. Um, all right, chapter 16, parable of the shrewd manager. I think this one is often misunderstood. I think we struggle with this one a little bit. Uh, let's just see what, what you come up with here. So, so question one, what was the manager's problem and how did he solve it? What was his problem and how did he solve it? And isn't that amazing too, Linda? You're right. These parables are 2,000 years old and they still hit home. Um, still hit, hit home today. It's just, a, just amazing and remarkable how uh, in 2022, um, these same, this same word, can be just as applicable, right? And, and hit home just as much. Thank you for mentioning that. Luke 12, uh, parable of the shrewd manager. What was the manager's problem and how did he solve it? So the problem, he was gonna lose his job, right? Ron and Jones say he lost his job. job. Marge says, yep, was gonna lose his job. Um, and as the Myers point out there, no plan. What do you do, right? Um, about to lose my job because um, he was cheating or being wasteful. Um, Jane says he he was wasting what he was managing. So how does he solve his problem? And here's where it gets a little maybe tough for us believers to, to wrap our heads around. Um,
what was he going to do to solve the problem? He was cheating again, right? So that other people would owe him and support him. Um, so Jesus says this is shrewd, right? So he's busted for cheating. He's going to get fired. So he cheats again so that they're going to owe him one, right? So they can take care of him. Um, so Judy, yeah, Judy says it well there to gain favor. Um, yeah, he's trying to make friends, Phil, right? He's trying to get to have people who owe him one. So he, he's going to be okay. Um, and so, so then I think it takes an interesting turn when Jesus commends this guy. Um, why is that shocking? And, and Jesus, again, he's making a point here. Um, and Linda and Jane, you're right on. Yep. I, uh, um, I agree with you there. Why is it so shocking that he commends this guy? And, and what is his point? I guess. Again, it's a parable, so understand Jesus is telling this to make a point. Um, so why is it so shocking that Jesus would commend him, and how does it help you understand the meaning of this parable? You guys are right, right? He's he's a crook, and all the more shocking here that Jesus is commending him, right? Um He's being, he's commending this guy for stealing, for being shrewd, for knowing the ways of the world. Um, this guy was clever in securing his future. And that's the point Jesus is, right, Joel? That's the point he's commending. This guy was shrewd. He was clever in making sure that his future was secure. So Jesus is saying, like he was clever in securing his earthly future, you and I should be the same in securing our heavenly future. We ought to be using our worldly wealth not to advance ourselves in this world, but to secure our place in God's kingdom. Um, and I think Phil is on to the next one here. Um giving our money and possessions is important because we can't take it with us. So yeah, that maybe transitions us here on into verse 15. Um, verse 15 says, he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Um, so verse 15, how does that change or guide the way that we use our God-given wealth? And Ron and Joan, I agree. That is a toughie. Um, I think a lot of us, and myself included, have scratched our heads at this section. Uh, it's a toughie because, again, Jesus is using an earthly illustration to encourage a spiritual point, and it they don't seem to, to connect, right? But again, Jesus really is saying here, use your money wisely to ensure your eternal future. So question three, if you look at verse 15, uh, how does this change or guide the way that we use our God-given wealth? So Judy says we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. I, yeah, higher than the world around us for sure. And, and what's the world standard? Um, world standard is, is have it your way, right? The world standard is you need the new, best, and brightest of everything all the time. 
Um, the worldly standard is it's okay to have mountains of debt as long as you're, you're getting the new stuff. Um, yeah, the world would say, don't waste your money giving it to charity, giving it to a church. Um, so, so definitely a higher standard there for us. Um, pastor says it's not to serve ourselves, but to serve, uh, worship our God, to spread his word. Marge, I like the way you said that. Um, our wealth is from God and he knows how we use it. Ooh, that makes you think, doesn't it? Um, God knows what you're spending your money on, right? Got all those things you have to have. Um, God knows, and he knows whether you have to have it or not, too. Um, so Jane says, let's share it. Joel, Joel says, let's wisely use our resources to win souls for Christ. Bingo, right? I think that's um, the heart of this, this parable. And the Myers say that this guy will not get the award for employee of the month. <laughs> that, that's for sure. That is for sure. Um, so you think about verse 15 um, and just the section here. So an example I've heard used. So this guy was um, kind of taken from the boss to, to kind of give to himself in a way. Um, so just an example I've heard. What, can you maybe take from direct TV to give to missions, right? Um, thinking about the ways that we allocate the, the funds that God gives us. Um, are, we, are we generous in a way that demonstrates we value what God values? Um, Linda says, uh, daughter-in-law tells her to quit buying books. Um, I don't think buying books is wrong. Um, I think... Ah, that's all. You know what, Linda? Though I think um, for some, for one, it's books. For another, it's um, collectibles. For another, it's who knows what, right? I think in the end, it's about priorities. It's about balance. Um, God wants us to enjoy what we have, um, and as long as we're not maybe robbing from God to do these other things, I think we're okay. Um, Judy says, when you think you are spending God's money instead of your money, it changes your priorities. That, um, I like the way you said that. And if I had a pen, I, I was looking to actually write that one down. When, when, you're, when you think you are spending God's money instead of your money, it changes your priorities. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the trick is remembering that, right? The Bible says, the Psalms tell us, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Psalm 24, I believe, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Um, everything is his, right? So um, so we're just managing it, right? So that's a, a good reminder. Thank you. Uh, Phil says that buffering issues are going on. Anybody else having trouble? Um, looks good on this end. Um, sorry if it isn't on yours. Uh Ron and Jones say we're stewards of God's money. It's not ours. Yep, just managers. All right, good stuff. Let's finish up with the rich man and poor Lazarus. Um, another, I, I think, really valuable parable. Um, really val valuable parable here. And, and to my knowledge, um, this one does not show up in Mark or Matthew or John. Um, so... Let's, let's give our attention here to the rich man and Lazarus. 
So Jesus paints a picture again. A lot of his parables deal with contrast. Um, a lot of so it looks like many are okay. Some are having buffering. Um, I don't know what to attribute that to. Um, just encourage you to stick with it. Hopefully, hopefully it hangs in there. Um, all right. So Jesus often paints a picture, uh, contrasting pictures. We have that in the rich man and Lazarus. Um, question four: What physical, what spiritual differences existed? between the rich man and Lazarus in life. So you're looking at verse 19 to the end of the chapter. What are some differences that existed between these two guys in their earthly lives? Any thoughts there? And thanks for letting me know that, by the way, too, because um, sometimes sometimes things on this end can look perfectly fine, and, and I don't know that you guys are struggling. So um, that can just mean I need to be a little more patient on this end and allow it to catch up for you. Um, so Linda and Judy point out we've got rich versus poor, a luxury versus a beggar, right? It does not really, I mean, you can't get any opposite, more opposite ends on the spectrum, at least economically. Um, lots to nothing, Jane says, everything versus nothing, right? Um, that's physically. Um, Marge, too, we got rich man and, and beggar. Um, how about health-wise? What do you see health-wise, and what do you see spiritually between these two guys. So we got the economic part down. Um, what do you see health-wise? What do you see spiritual-wise from these two guys? And then, by the way, we just talked about using money wisely. If you look at verse 19, the rich man was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. He, I don't think he used his wisely, right? Um, so Judy says we've got unbeliever versus believer. Yeah, there's faith on the one hand and selfish living on the other. Physically, it's a great contrast, isn't it, Joanne? There is health, and then there is is really the opposite or lack thereof, right? Sickly, as John, Ron and Joan say, Um so you, you couldn't get more opposite guys in all these areas. Then they died, of course. And note the difference in how their deaths are described. Um, one faced judgment, so and the other was carried to Abraham's side. And we know from the rest of Scripture that that is heaven. Um, so one had hope, one did not. One faced judgment. And I think personally, um, if you want to teach somebody about heaven and hell and, and the differences, and, and I think this is a good place to go. Um, uh, if you look at number six, what did the rich man ask Abraham to do for him? And why didn't Abraham fulfill his request? Um, and by the way, this is not necessarily, remember it's a parable. It's not necessarily teaching us that you can talk to people from heaven and hell. That, that's not the point of his parable. Um, so that would be going too far to say that this proves that. Um, 
Phil, it's a parable. So I, I, this is a fictitious Lazarus. This is a fictitious Lazarus. So Linda says the rich man faced judgment. Um, yeah, he faced judgment and Lazarus, of course, went to heaven. Um, so what does the rich man want Abraham to do for him? What does the rich man want Abraham to do for him? Uh, Ron and Jones say he wanted water. Um, he wanted water. And why didn't Abraham fulfill his request? As you say there, people can't travel between them. I think that's one reason why um, there's a chasm in between, right? And that maybe reminds us um, our eternal destination is permanent, that there's no bouncing back and forth. You get to a place, that's where you stay. There, there's no traveling back and forth. There's no second chances. Um, you are where you end up. So so Abraham asked, or the rich man asked for relief. Abraham says no. And I think another reason he says no here um, is he makes the point that you're suffering, right? Verse uh, verse 25, you're in agony, right? This this is what your lack of faith got you, right? The, there's suffering that goes along with this. Um, and some of you, you're starting to talk about uh, warning his brothers there. So let's look at question seven. And I think this is such a huge point. It says, people sometimes say they would believe in heaven if someone came back from the dead or if they saw some other miraculous sign. What does this parable say about that attitude? What does this parable say about that attitude? So pastor mentioned he wants to warn his brothers. And Abraham, what, what point does, does Jesus make through this parable? Um, well, people believe if somebody comes back from the dead. Jane says, no, they wouldn't. Um, and finally, didn't somebody already come back from the dead? Wasn't that kind of like a thing at Easter? Didn't somebody just come back from the dead? Um, and, and how many didn't believe that, right? Um, and Ryan and John got it, yeah. Um, Many still scoff, right? Um, Rachel's here. Um, Rachel says, it's a false assumption of the unbeliever. They have what they need to come to faith. Extra isn't going to help it. And, and when you look at the words here, the parable, um, what does Abraham say? He says, no. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, which at in Jesus' day, that, that meant the word of God. That's how they described the Old Testament. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced if even if someone rises from the dead. <clears throat> so Jesus is teaching us here. The word is what saves. The only way to, to heaven is through the gospel. The gospel is more powerful than miracles. The gospel is more powerful than, than somebody coming back from the dead. If they're not going to listen to the gospel... Nothing else is going to save them. Um, the, the word is sufficient, right? The gospel is sufficient for salvation. God has promised us no other means 
to save people. God has not given us any other way uh, to bring people to faith and get them to heaven other than through his word. Um, and so I always am a little skeptical then when people ask for signs or when, um, so let me tell you, let me ask you this question and, and maybe it opens up a can of worms here. Um, what about near death experiences? What about somebody who went to heaven for 10 minutes and is back? What should we think about such things? What should we think about such things? First of all, I, I'm not in any way doubting that they happen to understand that. And I know there's been a, some books and some movies, right, about, about individuals who've had those experiences. I'm in no position to doubt them or question them. But based on what we're reading here, if I want someone to be saved, I, I need to share the gospel, right? I need to share the word with them. Um, that's what's going to do it, right? Um, to, to put all my eggs in the basket of this book or that movie to really get somebody's attention, I, we need to we need to hear God's word, right? Um, and as Rachel says, that's the bottom line. It, and I agree with you. The, all those events, I, they can all be real as long as it lines up with what God tells us, right? Um, so I hope, I hope I'm clear there and I, I hope I'm not, in any way being misunderstood on that one. Uh, Joel says salvation is based on faith in Jesus. Faith comes from hearing the message. The message comes through the word of Christ. Um, yes, the word, right? That's where it is. That's where it is, where it's at. We have the gospel. Uh, we have Jesus in his word. Um, so that's where we need to be, right? That's where we need to be. And finally, in the end, um, we don't want to be in heaven or hell um, and thinking, why didn't I tell my brothers or sisters like like this guy here, right? So let's let's uh, let's share that gospel. All right. Um, sorry, Phil. Sorry to hear about the buffering. Um, Judy, yeah, and I. It's always a toughie. You know, a lot of people believe loved ones are sending signs from heaven, um, and there's just no basis in scripture for that. Um, that's a tricky one, though, and and I we all we all miss our loved ones. We all remember them, think of them fondly. Can't wait to see them again. Um, but there's just no, there's nothing to, uh, nothing that tells us God communicates with us that way, or that we should expect that at all. Um, any other thoughts? And again, please ask if you have a question or, or make sure I'm not understood that I am understood correctly. Um, Rachel's asking, have ever this parable explained as a true story? Um, yeah, you know, that's a, so I've never, um, I've never taken it that way, Rachel, um, nor do I think it was ever taught to me that way. Um, I do think that word Lazarus, I think throws people or catches people. Um, so I'll just read you what my study Bible says, and then I'll maybe comment. Um, 
this is not the Lazarus Jesus raised from the dead. Um, he says, if this is a parable, it's the only one in which Jesus gave a name to one of the characters. Um, so it's a little bit um, unique in that regard. Um, and so I guess too, it doesn't specifically, he doesn't specifically call a parable. Um, so I maybe don't want to say more than I am able to say there, but I've, I guess I haven't approached it usually as a, a real event. Um, but then as I think about it, whether it is or isn't, I, I don't think the point changes, whether this is a parable or a real event. I, I think the point is still clear. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Um, hopefully that helps. I don't, I don't mean to be wishy-washy, but I just, I'm always trying to be careful to say, I don't want to say more than scripture allows me to say. Um, uh, a lot of good comments here. Phil, yep, be in the word. Uh, it's, emotions are like the roller coaster we heard on Sunday, right? The word is where we need to be. Um, Myers, I agree. It's sentimental. And, and it's good to be sentimental. I, I'm not um, – I, I think about my grandpa all the time. Um, but that, that that's that's okay to think about, right? But um, if God's going to talk to me, he's going to use his word. Um Judy, I, yeah, I think you said it better than I did or tried to. Um, let's see here. Um, yes, Pastor, it's a different Lazarus, right? Um, good, good comment. So Phil says here, we like to romanticize God's love and plan. It's not necessarily a Hallmark movie for us. Um, yeah, I mean, life... Yeah, it's usually not like that, is it, Phil? It's filled with hardships and, and struggles and all kinds of things. Um, Linda says, in the Old Testament, people were raised from the dead by prophets. It happened, right? It happened a few times. And I, and I think um, those Old Testament people, they believed in resurrection too. Um, and I think that's partly why God allowed a few people in the Old Testament to be raised, um, just to teach them that, to look forward to that. All right, good chapters, good questions, uh, good observations. Really like discussing this with you guys. Next week, 17 to 19. Um, 17 to 19. Um, so I think we're going to have two more weeks for sure before I, I have to take a break for a week. Um, so 17 to 19 next week, please join us. Um, always good stuff. Any Any comments or questions here? Anything we didn't? Didn't cover. Otherwise, thanks for coming out. Thanks for hanging out with us. Please come back next Tuesday, uh, 6.30. We will um, continue right where we left off. All right. Uh, God's blessings, everybody. Uh, have a great night, and we will see you soon. Remember, graduation Thursday at 6.30. Uh, normal worship tomorrow night at 6.30 as well. God bless you too, Pastor. Uh, you're welcome, Joel. Everybody have a good night. Um, God bless you too, Jillian. Thanks for joining us. Come back, okay? Night, everybody. God bless.